Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, July 30th, 2023, from the book of Ecclesiastes. All right. Um, <clears throat> we are, for the these few weeks kind of ending out the summer, we are looking at the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. That's a big old word. It's hard to say, right? But don't worry. All that Ecclesiastes means is like a gathering or an assembly. Like this this old man at the end of his life and at the end of all of his experiences is going to stand up with a big gathering of people and kind of give them a TED talk and say, I've experienced everything. I've done it all. I've learned the hard way. And I want to help you guys kind of skip to the end. It's like the teacher's edition of the math book, which is always the one I wanted It has the answers at the end of the book. He's like, I'm going to give you the answers at the end of the book so you don't have to make all the same mistakes that I made. And he has this theme that keeps running through this book 38 times in 12 little chapters. He uses this one word. We've translated it meaningless. It means vapor or breath or smoke. And he says people always have and they keep on doing it, pouring their time and their energy and their effort into stuff that simply doesn't last. It's like they're trying to wield the wind or steer smoke or they're clutching clouds. It just doesn't work. And this whole time so far that we've talked about in this book, the teacher, this guy who's giving us this talk, has been in the first person. He's been talking about how He says, I built and I bought and I made and I accomplished and I achieved and I was this great, amazing person. He's been looking in the mirror the whole time. And this shift happens in chapter four where he pulls his gaze away from the mirror and he goes over to a window and he opens it and he looks out over the rest of the world, the rest of the community, the rest of the population. Instead of saying, I bought, I made, I did, I built, I was, he looks out at everybody else. And as his point of view changes, also the causes for all the calamity in the world change. He's been talking about how you can't just hold on to all this stuff that everybody wants because it doesn't last. And, you know, he has these phrases he uses like time and chance and fate and destiny happen to everybody. Disaster happens to everybody. You never know what's going to happen in your life. And sometimes it feels random. Sometimes he says God is responsible for it. But in chapter four, as his point of view changes off of himself, the causes for all that calamity, it's not fate It's not chance. It's not disaster anymore. It's us. He says, a big cause of a lot of the world's pain and hurt, it's not just random stuff that can happen in in a broken world. It's actually the people in the broken world that happen to each other. I'm going to show you this. This is in uh, chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes. Basically, he's telling us it's not just that the world's unpredictable. Sometimes it's also downright mean. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Again I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. 
But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. It's not just that the world is unpredictable. Sometimes it's mean. And the thing is, is that the more you get to know someone's life, behind what the Instagram pictures look like, behind the nice family pictures on the walls of their house, behind whatever, you know, the the nice team picture of the, the company executives or whatever, behind all of that, the more you get to know somebody, the more you find out how much pain people have had. Y'all, have y'all experienced this? I've been doing ministry for a long time. Most of it, you know, centered around young people, high school kids, middle school kids, college kids. But I've done ministry with with prisoners and with, with their, the folks' parents and everybody. And the, what I found is the more you scratch beneath the surface of somebody's life, the more hurt and pain you are likely to find out. During the pandemic, there was a year where I didn't get to see my mother at all. And we were, uh, she is, always has kind of a lot of health stuff going on and she was really, really isolated. And and so when the, when the vaccines came out and she and I both got our vaccine, I called her up and I hadn't seen her in over a year. And I was like, can I come see you? And she said, absolutely. So I went out to Middle Tennessee and I spent a couple of days with my mom and she did something she's never done before with me, which is she drove me around to all of the houses of all the extended family and told me all the stories. And I thought, this is going to be so sweet. I'm going to learn like the history of my mom's family. This is going to be so cool. And so here in Murfreesboro are these people and here in, in Madison and Goodlettsville. And that's the way people from Goodlettsville say it, Goodlettsville. And so here's, here's what, you know, here are the stories that happened here. And here's the time, you know, Uncle Sam burned down the garage over here and here's the you know and he all these stories and by like lunchtime I was overwhelmed with all of the pain that my mother had lived through and I looked at her in a whole new light I mean there was so much neglect and so much addiction and so much abuse and so much trauma I was just like I understand my mom in a completely and totally different way the more you get to know just about anybody You're going to find out about abuse and neglect, about manipulation and about sometimes exploitation. And the writer, the the teacher in Ecclesiastes is saying, y'all, we do this to ourselves. This is what the human race does to ourselves. He's concerned with oppression and power and how the oppressed don't have a comforter. And power is on the side of the oppressor, and there's no one to comfort them. This is a disaster. By the way, as we get farther into this morning, um, I just want to say that, that if you don't want your religion to talk about, care about, or act on behalf of justice, equality, or inclusion, you do not want the way of Jesus. Okay? I'm going to say that one more time. If you do not want your religion to talk about, care about, or act, on behalf of justice, equality, and inclusion, you do not want the way of Jesus. When the New Testament opens, the Gospel of Luke, um, like the, the announcement comes to this teenage girl that she is going to carry the Messiah. And she inst- when she says yes to this proposition, she instantaneously bursts into a song. It's the first song that was ever written about Jesus in the New Testament. And you're thinking, what was it about? Is it about the salvation of humankind? Or is it about, like, you know, the forgiveness of sins? It's not. It is about economic revolution. That's what that song is about. That teenage girl was all about economic revolution. It's about the rich and the poor switching places. 
And she says, that's what's coming with this baby. That's what happened. That was the first song, the first sermon that Jesus ever preached. He's in his hometown. Somebody hands him the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it up to chapter 61. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. First song, economic revolution. First sermon about oppression and power distribution. First church that was ever founded after Jesus died for our sins and then rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven. The first little church that met, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4 that all the believers were of one heart and mind and no one claimed that any of their possessions belonged to them, but they shared everything they had. He goes on a couple verses later to say, the grace of God was so powerfully at work in them all. And this is a trick I learned from Tom. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but to take a Bible verse and like cut it in half and put the second half under your thumb and then say, I wonder if I remember or can figure out how this verse is going to end. The grace of God was so powerfully at work in them all. And like, how would you finish that? What does it look like when the grace of God is powerfully at work in a group of believers? Are there... Are they healed from all their diseases? Is everybody speaking in tongues? Like, is everybody getting saved? What happens? Here's how the verse ends. The grace of God was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy people among them. Wow. So the, the first song written about Jesus, the first sermon given by Jesus, the first church that met because of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, it's about this. It's about the fact that this is a world that oppresses people and we have got to do something about it. And someone has come on their behalf. And now we go out on his behalf. It's really interesting. I mean, when you think about kind of power and why does this stuff happen? And obviously the teacher says, you know, there, there's a lot of this that just comes down to evil. There are people that are just evil and they're in the history books and some of them are going to be in the next history books. Yes, there's a lot of evil going on in the world. And sometimes power is about a will to dominate and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes, you know what power is about sometimes? Sometimes power is just about people that are afraid. Because they're afraid that there's not going to be enough. And if there's not enough food then I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll use my ability and my will to dominate to make sure that we get all the food, my, me and my people. There might not be enough land or enough resources. So I'll use my ability to dominate to make sure that me and my people get all the land. And sometimes it's, sometimes people are just afraid. Power comes from a place of fear. But the teacher has this unbelievable insight that he gives us on the way the human heart works. And in the midst of this conversation about oppression and power, he says this. So I'm going to back up just a little bit. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. Smoke, a chasing after the wind. Sometimes power is about evil, and sometimes it's about a will to dominate, and sometimes it's about people who are afraid. Sometimes the things that people do, the things that people achieve, the things that people get, it's because they're just jealous of other people. 
You think about how much stuff happens in this world because people are envious of other people. I mean, is there anybody that can give me an amen on any of that? Have you experienced anything like this? By the way, just as an aside, have you ever done something simply because somebody else did it? Like you wouldn't have done it at all, but you just did it. Like, for instance, my version of that is um, skateboarding. That, I purely did that because of a kid named Matt Bostick. That's the only reason that I did the skateboarding. Um, I mean, there was plenty of things in my life that I did because I had to. Like, in my house, you had to play football. That was just what was going to happen from third grade through 12th grade. And uh, some things I did because I wanted to impress girls. Like, I learned how to play the guitar. And one time I took a year of Chinese to impress this one girl. And, um, but skateboarding was just because of Matt Bostick. Matt Bostick was like, he could have been like a pro skateboarder. And when you would watch him skateboard, he was like, it was amazing. I would go with my friends to hang out with this dude. And he was like this unbelievable athlete. But it was like the dork version of athlete. You know, we were not the people in the newspaper with jerseys on or anything like that. We just had the largest pants that human beings could buy. And flannel shirts. And we would get our mom to take us down to, there was a... There used to be a, there, old Oak Ridgers will remember this, but at the corner of, of Turnpike and New York, there used to be a gas station uh, called The Pantry. And we would get our moms to drop us off there. And the place that's Max Pharmacy used to be a bank. And we would take like gulf wax and we would just cover the curb in like three inches of wax. I don't know how many like customers of that bank like fell and broke their neck, but it was so slick. We called it Ice Curb. And we used to rename businesses. There was Trick Gap and Ice Curb and all these places. And it was like, you know, I got the skateboard. I had the pants. You know, those were the two biggest part of being a skater. And then um, I got some punk rock music to listen to and everything. But I was going to be like Matt Bostick. And the thing is, is that I didn't realize that in order to be good at skateboarding, you have to be willing to do one thing, which is to be in a lot of pain all of the time. I hate pain. I can't stand to be in physical pain. Why am I skateboarding? At a certain point, I was like, I'm done with this. Like, broke a wrist, all that stuff. It's like, I'm only doing this because of him. There is so much that happens in this world because we don't know who we are. And we're jealous of each other. We look out and we compete and we compare ourselves to somebody else. And if I'm, if I'm taller than them, then I feel better. If I'm slower than them, then I feel worse. That's been a lot of my life, those two things right there. But like... It's like, if I have more money than this person, I feel like I'm better than them. If I have less money than this person, then I feel worse. We have so much, and the teacher says, all toil and all achievement. And it's in this conversation of oppression and power and how people get stepped on is because we are jealous of each other. In other words, one of the huge reasons that we hurt each other in this world, and it's not just the big global systemic stuff either. Sometimes it's, stuff in the office. Sometimes it's stuff in your own family, in, at your work, at your school, on your teams. We hurt each other because we don't know who we are. And that is really sad. I want you to do something for me real quick, which is I want you to think, don't answer out loud, but really think, like, why is it that I personally am important, are cool, are good. And maybe you don't feel that highly about yourself, but come on, something like, what is it about me that is cool and good? And think about that thing. Now, my question for you is, 
Did anything that comes into your mind have to do with something you achieved or you got or you made happen for yourself? The reason I ask that is, if in our self-reflection, when we're trying to figure out who we are and why we matter, if it has anything to do with what you have done or achieved, you don't know who you are yet. What is the answer to envy? How can I look out on a world of some people who are way cooler than me or way better than me at stuff, or some people who are worse than me at, at stuff and some people who have less than me? How can I look out on a world and not compare and not compete? What is the answer to envy? And I think the book of Ecclesiastes has an incredibly cool answer. It comes in chapter 11 and it comes in chapter 12. In chapter 11, verse 5, the teacher says, Just as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in its mother's womb, so you do not understand the works of God, the maker of all there is. And then in chapter 12, which chapter 12 is really cool. Chapter 12 is about growing old and, and dying and um, it has these beautiful word pictures and all this kind of stuff. But at the very beginning of that chapter, it says, remember your creator in your youth. The teacher says, here's something that's really, really important about you know who, knowing who you are and you understanding who God is. He is the maker of all there is and he is the creator the reason that that's important is it means something very critical about you and me. If he's the maker of all there is, if he's the creator, then you and I are his creatures. And that is the most critical thing for you to understand if you're going to go on a journey of getting out of the place of comparing and competing and envy and jealousy. I did not make myself and neither did they. That's how we start down the road of not competing and comparing. I am a creature. Now, of course, you can grow and you can develop and you can learn stuff and you can get better at some things that you're not that good at and all that stuff, except skateboarding. I wouldn't do skateboarding. But like, you can grow and develop and learn and all those things. But almost all of the stuff about you that you bring into the table and into the world and into this community are things that were decided not by you, by someone much higher up than you. And by the way, decided by someone who loves the way you are. He made you exactly the way that you are. The body you have, the body type that you have, the voice that you have. And some of you are like, I wanted that little singing voice to be a little bit better. And I'm like, I, I feel you. And maybe the mind for math that you have, or in my case, the mind for math you super do not have. Like all of those things, he crafted you, handmade you minutely because he wanted you to be in this world. He wanted to say something. He wanted to describe something about his creative genius that only you could describe. Only you by being exactly who you are. He has a world full of variety and difference and distinction, and he loves differences. You know what we do with differences? We hate them. We hate them. We rail against them. We want to find out what's the one aesthetic, what's the one body type that matters, and then everybody just aim at that, and we'll do whatever it takes. We'll fast. We'll throw out bread. We'll do whatever, you know, whatever it is. 
because this is the only body type that matters in the world. And then extrapolate that out to everything else. This is the only kind of cool shoe. This is the only kind of good music. This is the only kind of whatever. This is the only way to think. And God's world is full of differences. He loves differences, and we hate them. We rail against them. We want to conform everything down into one thing. But he made everybody different because he has this plan. He has this master plan. And variety and differences are a huge part of making it work. You want to know what it is? This is cool and exciting, okay? So God makes a world full of all these people, and they're all completely different in unbelievably beautiful ways. And then we totally wrecked the entire world. A total disaster. Not one thing about it did we keep nice and good. We, dis- we completely sinned against each other. We sinned against ourselves. And now we have this world full of oppression, full of power, full of pain. I mean, some things about our world are getting cool. I mean, it's finally getting to be acceptable to, you know, like, have a therapist, for instance. We're, like, normalizing this. Not in the world I grew up in. Nobody, nope, nope, we're Christians. We don't need a therapist. Shut up. (laughs) Y'all need a therapist more than most people. Um, So some things about our world are getting cool and normalized and better. But other things about our world are getting so much worse, y'all. Like, you think about the, the, just the, the wage gap between the, the very rich and the very poor. We have people who do not have access to clean water. We do not have enough food. And we have other people who literally have enough money to feed everybody, but they're throwing themselves up into space for 10 seconds. What is this place? We have more people in slavery than we've ever had in the history of the world. I can remember about five or ten years ago, Tom standing up here and telling us that. And he looked at his notes and he said, the latest figures estimate that there are 27 million people in slavery in the world. I looked it up this week. You want to know what it is? It's 50 million. Which includes human trafficking. And I'm not talking about the, uh, you know, the, the sensational, overdone uh, movies where it's, it's totally reductive and over the top. And, and it actually clouds our vision of what human trafficking is and, and the subtlety of it and the problems of it. And, and in some ways, experts say it actually makes it a whole lot harder for us to realize what's going on and to fight it. I'm not talking about that. But all of that, we have more slavery than ever. We have more wage gap than ever. We have so many problems. God makes this beautiful world full of all these people. He loves differences. We totally wreck the whole thing. So God himself becomes a human being in the person of Jesus lived a perfect life, as he'd hoped everybody would have done, and then laid that life down, shed his blood to forgive us, to pay for anyone who would call out on him, for everything, every wrong thing they've ever done, every problem, every single last evil and messed up thought and word and deed. And then after dying for us, he rose from the dead, offering us a brand new life with God, a brand new way to start over. By the way, if you've never said yes to that, you could do it right now. You could just say yes to Jesus and you could have all of your sins forgiven, a place and home in heaven forever. And then he ascended into heaven and sent his spirit into the heart of every single person who calls out on him. And then he created his masterpiece, which is 
all of these different people who love Jesus all over the world, who all have different gifts and different ways of thinking and different ways of seeing the world and different, all kinds of different capacities and, and things that they're interested in, all those things. And he calls them the body of Christ. And they are supposed to comfort the oppressed. That's the master plan. And so the differences are super important because we all have a role to play. We all see the world differently. We all have something to do in this fight, in this world where oppression reigns, where power is divided terribly. And so he takes all of us with all of our little differences and he uses us, the plan is to use us, the body of Christ, to comfort the oppressed. That's pretty cool, right? But here's the thing about that. It works best when we aren't jealous of each other. It works best when we celebrate our differences because he has something he wants to do with you that's different than he wants to do with me. He has something he wants to do with every single one of us that's different from what he wants to do with everybody else. So your differences really, really matter. The key to overcoming jealousy and envy is to remember that I have a maker. I have a creator, which means that I am a creature. Envy looks out at the whole world and says, I am who I am compared to you. Whereas a child of God looks at the creator and says, I am who I am because of you. Envy looks at everyone and says, I am who I am compared to you. So if I have more, I feel better. If I have less, I feel worse. Whereas a child of God says, I am exactly who I am because God likes me like this, which is super cool. And God has something to, to do with me and with my life in the midst of this hurting and broken world. And that's super exciting. I want to find out what it is. If you've, if you've never been able to kind of overcome that sense of competing and comparing, looking out at everybody and seeing like, here's the ways I'm worse and here's the ways I guess I'm better or whatever, may I suggest this as a way to start this week? Any time that you notice something about you that's different from somebody else, then even if it's something that you hate about yourself, like all of us have stuff we like about ourselves and all of us have stuff we don't really like about ourselves. Even if it's something you don't like about yourself, if you notice something that's different from that person over there, you should pray and just start by acknowledging it. This is different about me because you made me. I didn't. Thanks a lot. Even if you started there, let's just start with some acknowledgement. This thing about me is different from that thing over there in her because I was made. I did not make myself. And apparently neither did she. Neither did he. Let's start with acknowledgement. And then anytime you find something, something about yourself that you appreciate, something about yourself that you like, then thank him. We start with awareness. We move into thanks. And then what if you get good at it and you find out you love yourself? What if you loved yourself? What if we loved ourselves and we weren't jealous, we weren't envious, and then we became the body of Christ that comforts the oppressed? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. And I thank you for your brilliant plan that is absolutely dependent on us being different than everybody else in this room and everybody else in this town. Would you help us remember this week and become aware that I have a maker, I have a creator, I didn't make myself. And as we acknowledge that you are making us, you have made us different than everybody else, and those differences matter because you want to comfort the oppressed through us, the body of Christ. Help us to get past this comparing and competing. 
by starting to learn how to love who you've made us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Treasures me, gave life and blood. He is my friend.